Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. So this is episode 36, and I just want you to know we're closing in on the 100th chapter of the epic narrative. Now, we've done more than 100 episodes because we had some bonus episodes last year. Really haven't done a lot of bonus episodes this year, mostly because I've been on the road, and there's just, I don't know, you, you'd think that an unemployed pastor would have a lot of time on his hands, uh, but turns out I don't, really. It's kind of crazy. You kind of fill the time you have, and uh, yeah, so we haven't done a lot of uh, bonus packages, but all that to say is we are getting close to the 100th chapter that we've done on the biblical narrative. <clears throat> and that's kind of fun. And I appreciate all of you that have listened to all of them, uh, which is, you know, a couple hundred of you. I appreciate that. Anyways, we're going to uh, continue here with, with episode 36. Now, there's something kind of unique about this particular recording, and I will let you know about it at the end during my Bob thoughts, but <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. All right, on with the show, Genesis chapter 21. Now, this is this is great, right? It says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised, right? That's a great verse if you're just a preacher. Like God does what he says, God fulfills what he promises. And, and the flip side of, not flip side, but one of the awesome things about God is he doesn't just promise one of the things, he promises all those things. He doesn't just come through once. He comes through all the time. Like the promise that he did to Abraham was that he would take care of both the beginning and the end of the covenant. It's a precious thing covenants are. You can go to Bob Thought's page on Facebook. I just did a thing on covenants. Uh, enjoy it. Anyways, so, so this is a great verse. Verse 2, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Now, uh, this is this is where we have to remember what we just covered in the last ver- uh, last chapter. As, as you recall, as you recall, within a month or two of getting the promise from the angel of the Lord, some say the Lord Himself, getting the promise from the Lord at the time, uh, Abraham moves to the coast, and when he gets there. His, he lets his wife play the they they play the same game they did in Egypt right and and she becomes um, attached to and really actually married to the king but the king has problems and they don't consummate the marriage yada 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 and 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 <laughs> so when I read this verse I think what like where do you where do, how do you how Abraham like seriously bro. You come walking into your wife and say, yeah, I know I gave you away to some other guy and he tried to sleep with you, but he couldn't. Um, and I know the Lord promised that you were going to get pregnant and you would have a baby within a year. And I really kind of, you know, might have might have attempted, like at some level, he has to be thinking, man, I, I almost screwed this whole thing up. Maybe I should sleep with my wife. I, I don't know how you go into your wife after giving her away to some other man for a, uh, a week, two, three, month. Some say a month. That's the only way that all the women of the household of the king could have known that they weren't getting pregnant. 
that you know they all their cycles were still rolling and they were like we're not getting pregnant even though we're sleeping with all these people so oh, how do you go how do you go into your wife and say hey babe hey babe <laughs> oh man I, I i just there's so many different ways to go about this um i laugh at most of them just because I can't, I can't imagine. Now, granted, I, I'm not a, a, a if, if you, especially if you listen to season one, where we talk about David and Bathsheba and how the patriarchal system of male domination in this culture and how women were considered them, you know, considered s- slaves. They just, they couldn't refuse if their man wanted to. They had to. Okay, so. There's that. So maybe that's all that's going on here. He's like, okay, I, I guess I guess I should go into my wife. So he just kind of announces it or sends a message. And that's that was not unusual. It was not a Western mindset, you know, like for you and me, who would I I, I certainly hope if you're a husband out there that you do more than send a text message to your wife, like, you know, I'll I'll see you later or you know whatever like whatever your arrangements might be i hope they're not crude and and rude because love is not either of those things they are you know love is gentle and kind i don't know how abraham does this i i, I do know what he did he slept with her and and you know in one verse once again we cover 9 months of life she became pregnant and bore a son to abraham in his old age at the very time that god had promised so within that year of the angel showing up she gets pregnant and has a baby now, I don't know if you've ever been around a woman who has tried to get pregnant for a while and then gets pregnant, but they they are uh they're intense people. And I don't blame them. I'm just saying, I'm just saying they're intense. And in being intense, what I mean is they get super excited. Now, I can't imagine how fired up a woman would be who has been, in essence, tried for nine, you know, 89 years, 90 years. We'll, we'll just round up. I know people will be freaking out. No, the Bible says 89. Okay, fine. 80, 80, well, at this point, 88 years, because she gave birth in her 89th year. So she's been, well, she probably wasn't trying for the first 13 years of her life. Anyway, she's been trying for a while, mathematically, at least 60 years. Let's just call it that. You can figure it. You, you, you can come up with a more specific number. If you feel more comfortable with it, go for it. So she's been trying for at least 60 years, 60 years to get pregnant. Now, I don't know how often they made that attempt, shall we say, but I'm guessing they tried more often early on. And, and then after she gave Hagar to Abram, which was probably 12, 13 years ago, uh, after that, I kind of have a feeling there wasn't a whole lot of activity after that because I just don't think that went over real well. I mean, well, we know it didn't, right? She blamed him for all the trouble that was being caused, and and he was like, "It's not my fault. You told me to sleep with her, and that's just that's just, uh, Abram. That's just like the worst relational advice you could have ever. Like, hey, there's uh, there's so many better ways you've gone about that. <laughs> oh, anyway, so. She gets pregnant after trying for all those years. She gets pregnant, and I can't imagine that she wasn't really, really excited. And 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 I don't there. 
I don't want to say that people who have tried for a while uh, can be annoying, but like even people that get pregnant for the first time can sometimes get a little over top. Now, I know that there's social media, which makes it worse, right? But because I've been friends with some of these people and it's like, it's like, okay, I just block them for the next, you know, nine months because I don't need, I don't need weekly updates on how big the bump is. But I imagine Sarah would have been that person. Now, that's just me. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe she kept it to herself. Maybe she was, I mean, not to herself, self, but like maybe she was just very gentle and meek and humble about the whole thing and, and barely brought it up at dinner. Um, maybe she tried to even cover it up. She was an old lady. Maybe at some level there was a almost an embarrassment that her and her husband had, you know, had slept together. But, but I don't know. I like to think of it being like, you know, she wants to do the one week bump and the look at look. Take another photo. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Like you're like, come on, you can't even show. Yes, I can. I can tell. I can tell I'm pregnant. You know, the first month in whatever number of years that she didn't have to go to the red tent for a week. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the women that were there, which tended to be all the women at the same time because they tended to be in the same rhythm of their cycles, they'd all go to the red tent. And if you don't know what that is, it's where they'd go to sit over little holes on top of rags. And uh, they'd sit. They'd sit there, and it was kind of a, a week off every month because uh, nobody, none of the men, all the men had to fend for themselves. Uh, and the old ladies would take care of the rest, you know, would kind of cover for everybody while they were in there, the ones that were no longer on cycle. So Sarah's, for, you know, not there for the first time in years, and the girls must have, must have talked about it. It had to be such crazy big news. So this goes on for nine months. And during that nine months, you know Hagar's paying attention. And she's making, she's making mental note. She's, she's not just making mental note. She's also starting to, to carve out pathways to remind Abraham that it was her son that was born first and that it is his son. And she's reminding Ishmael, you make sure that you pay attention when Abraham's talking to you. You make sure that you answer the questions correctly in Yahweh school, which is something that Abraham, a tradition says Abraham had a Yahweh school where he would teach the monotheistic mindset of worshiping just one God. So she made sure Ishmael was paying attention. And Ishmael was old enough that he would actually be spending time with Abraham on the regular, out and about, uh, interacting with the um, employees, the servants, the the various merchants. They got to know that this is Ishmael. This is Abraham's son. This is somebody who's going to be running things in a few years because at age 13, he would start to take on um, authority. And if he's, he made a commitment to something, it came with the commitment of Abraham's name, wealth, and influence. And and so it was it was a big deal. But now Sarah's pregnant, and this is this is the first wife. This is the one that Abraham, you know, traveled the the world to come to Canaan. This is the one who has followed him, and this is uh, this is no small deal to Hagar. And Hagar's made that impression very clear on Ishmael that it is really important that we make sure 
that if she has a son as as predicted, as prophesied, then we need to make sure that we have you set up to not be, you know, left behind, not be ignored, not be uh, dismissed as the inheritor of the of the wealth and influence of Abraham. So that's going on for nine months. And, and she gives birth, and it is a son. And Abraham gave him the name Isaac, which means laughter, because Sarah bore him, right? And when, and when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in my old age. So it was the idea that um, in in that region, right? It was cra- It was a crazy thought that she would be pregnant. It was it, not just in the house, but in the tribe, all over the merchants coming and going. When they had, when they looked at Sarah, and they were like, "Wow!" Like they knew she was old. But the fact that that she was nursing him, right? She specifically says that. Every God is, uh, yeah. Verse verse seven. Who would have Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? This is one of those phrases that makes that the the oral tradition that Sarah had never aged, that the Lord supernaturally kept her body young. Now, some would say that this happened because she got pregnant, but science, and I know that's a dangerous, that's crazy, a crazy word, but science would say that there comes a a time where you just stop making milk. You can't make it anymore. So, So whether it was a supernatural regeneration when she got pregnant, or it was a supernatural maintaining of her beauty and her youth until she got pregnant, I have no idea. But... Well, my idea is, and you know this already if you've, if you've listened along, is that she always looked young, which is why the, the pharaoh of Egypt wanted to marry her, and it's why in the last chapter the king of, of the Canaanites wanted to marry her, because she still looked like a young girl, which is why when she said, I'm Abraham's sister, they were all like, oh, wow, he must have had a really young sister because she's gorgeous. Even though many who had been around him for many years knew, no, this this girl, this girl is as old as she says she is, even though she looks as young as she looks. It, it it's supernatural. She's nursing a child. She's nursing a child at a hundred years old. This is crazy. And crazy fun. And that's what she says. Everyone's going to laugh. Who wouldn't laugh at this? I laughed at the idea. I thought the guy, I thought the angel was just kind of giving me a very cordial compliment. You know what? You're going to have a baby when I get back here in a year. And she started laughing. She's like, who wouldn't laugh at this? This is, this is hilarious. This is so out of the ordinary. No big deal. So in verse eight, it says, when the child was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Now, this is a, a verse of great debate amongst many a theologian. Theologians debate this. Why? Because we have 
no idea when this was. No idea. We just don't. Now, I, it's interesting to me when I find commentaries where, where people are dogmatic. Well, Isaac was Isaac was two years old when he was weaned. That was the uh, ideal time to be weaned as a Jewish child. And yet, if you go, to, and I have, I've gone to multiple resources on this. Jewish tradition, uh, Islamic tradition, because, of course, Abraham's big in the Islamic world. Uh, uh, I even looked at... <laughs> Yeah, I looked at a lot of a lot of commentators. And basically everyone's like, we honestly don't know. Except for a few goofy people who are like, I know exactly when he was weaned. And somehow I picture them old and white-haired and and white-skinned. Like just the the old-time preachers from way back when when you couldn't you couldn't be in a pulpit and not and not be absolutely sure of every word that you were speaking was the truth. Well, the bottom line is we don't know how old he was. Most commentators say he was somewhere between the age of three and nine. That's some and and honestly there's some cultures even today. I I I know of I know of people who even though their child was in first and second grade when they would come back from school they would still nurse for just a few minutes, but the mother would, you know, he would come up and sit on his mother's lap and she'd whip it out and boom, he'd take a drink of milk. I, 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 that was not my experience, nor was it what we did in our home. But it's that, that it's that experience that I've had in, in watching it. Not that specific thing, but in in having conversations with the mom and the dad, and they described what you know what happens when he comes home from school. They described it very naturally. They had done it with all of their children, and this was only a few years ago. So it wasn't like you know when I was a uh, anyways. And I thought, well, maybe Isaac was six, maybe he was seven. Now for me, it makes more sense that he was older than two or three based on what happens at this party. So I'm making a conjecture. I can't prove it, but neither can you. <laughs> so I'm telling the story. We're going to go with my insight on this. <laughs> but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. So the child grew, was weaned, and on that day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Now, there was a specific day why? Because it was planned ahead. Because again, I think he was old enough to have had some sort of conversation with where they were, where Sarah and Abraham and the the nanny or the servant. They were like, okay, like you're, you know, next week we're gonna be done. Two more days, you're gonna be done. Tomorrow we're gonna have a big party. This is gonna be a big party. Now, some people make a big deal over kids, you know, dropping their passy, getting rid of their pacifier uh, or their nook nook or whatever you want to call it. And they, some of them have a, a little bit of a party. Yay, okay, well, when you turn three, when you turn four, no more this, no more. We're going to put it away. We're going to bury it. Some people bury it. Some people flush it. Some people throw it in the, in the trash. I think one of our kids dropped theirs out the window, and we were like, well, well there you go. You're all done now. No more. The, 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 the world is out of passies. <laughs> and they were like, oh, bummer. Uh, they probably cried a little, but, you know, it worked. That's, that's what I'm picturing here. That's my reasoning. 
behind where I come up with this this age. I think he was old enough to have had a conversation, old enough to know that the day was coming and that there was going to be a great big party that he was finally done nursing with his mom. Now, Abraham's party, this was no small thing. It would have been attended by every important regional uh, leader, including Abim- um, Abimelech, who tried to marry Sarah uh, in the last chapter. So uh, I don't want to say that it's kind of like a mob boss having a party, and, and but it, I, I think it was. I think it, I think it actually was kind of like you know Abraham's having a party for his son that his wife Sarah bore him, and and being weaned is a big deal because now he will he will start to be instructed in the ways of becoming a young man, and the ways of becoming the inheritor of the wealth and influence and authority of Abraham. So so you would come and you would bring gifts uh, like extravagant gifts to the child slash the mom and dad. And Abraham would receive gifts. And this is a party that at least went on all day, if not multiple days. And uh, Isaac would have been in and around the head table multiple times. Sarah would have been seen amongst the, the rulers of the area multiple times, all day, all night. Uh, the party would would rage on. Merchants would come in. Anybody who wanted to continue to do business with Abraham would have come to honor his son Isaac. Like that's why I, I'm thinking it's more like a mob boss having a party. Everybody would want to make sure that Abraham was noticing what they brought, and they would have brought all kinds of things, all kinds of things. The clothing, the the camels, the mules, the zebras, the the lambs, the goats, the the good grief. He probably got an elephant and a couple a couple uh, crazy you know tigers and giraffe. Who knows? Like gifts would have come in from all over. This was a great big freaking deal, and Abraham knew it. Everybody knew it. And during this time, Hagar is watching, and Ishmael's watching. And again, Ishmael's old enough. And has spent enough time with Abraham that he knows what his father is doing here. And he knows that this little kid is now his main competition as far as he's concerned. Now, this is where, uh, you know, the, the mentality is important to capture in order to understand what happens next. Uh, but Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And he and she said to Abraham, "Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac." The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his sons. Now, let's take it, you know, again, I I know I break this stuff down, so let's take a buck. What, what mocking? What does that mean? To make sport of, to belittle. So what's going on here is, I want to I want to picture it almost like middle school type of thing, because that's about the age that uh, Ishmael is. Uh, I, I, wait, I'm sorry. 
Uh, yes, Ishmael. Good grief. I had like a complete brain lapse there. Okay, so he's he's watching this and he starts to mock. He starts to belittle. So what what he's trying to do is in front of his father and various dignitaries and well-known wealthy people that he many of whom he probably has already met and and not that he's done business with it but he's seen business being done and he knows that these guys have acknowledged him and they've said hey Ishmael, you know, someday you're going to be like your your father here. Someday, you know, my sons will do business with you. And and so he knows these guys, and he's trying to show them, hey, this is just a little child, and I'm way smarter than he is. And I'm sure he's asking uh, Isaac goofy questions that he knows Isaac doesn't know the answer to, and he's showing off that he does. And what it means to mock is that he's speaking uh, arrogantly and he's dishonoring the character of Isaac. And really, he's dishonoring the character of Sarah because sons, children, but specifically sons in this case, were, I mean, they they were raised by their father in and amongst the business of the family, but as far as their character was concerned, Often the mother would carry the weight of that. It was the mother's responsibility to make sure that the sons honored their father, that their you know that their sons took their rightful place in the family. And here in this case, they would have expected Hagar to have instructed Ishmael that his place was no longer first but second, and he would be honoring of that. And what they were seeing in the mocking of Isaac was that Ishmael didn't honor. His, his new position in the family. As a matter of fact, it was clear through the mocking that he was not going to yield first place to his brother. He was going to push his brother. He was going to push his brother aside. Abraham's watching this as well. What it shows is that uh, in mocking was that his training from his Egyptian mother was a, was the training of Egyptian royalty and not as a follower of Yahweh. So he was not he was not being trained on on the on the ways of honoring your father and mother. It, he was being trained in kill your competition, belittle your competition, get rid of your competition. Make sure that everyone knows that you're the you're the smartest one in the room. You're the most powerful one in the room. Make sure that that when you know when people walk into a room, you know, walk into the room, they know you're the one who's going to be the heir of all that Abraham has and all the authority and influence he has. These were the things that Hagar was teaching him. And so when the opportunity came for him to belittle his little brother the first opportunity like up until the up until now he was still nursing so he couldn't really make fun of him a whole lot because he was still nursing now he can and he evidently let it fly and I'm guessing he let it fly more than once because I don't think in you know one run or two runs of making fun of his little brother I'm guessing you know Sarah could have said hey stop or Abraham would have said hey 
that's enough. Let's not do that. But Ishmael just kept coming. He just kept coming. And over time, Sarah knew this is, this is a character issue. If she was teaching him to follow the ways of Yahweh, he would honor his father. And he would understand his role. And he would not be doing this in front of everybody, in a public manner. And what Sarah was seeing was, he's ultimately going to wipe Isaac out. And this is my son. Now, I, I, I understand. I do understand Sarah's heart for this boy. She waited years to get pregnant. And then she did. And this is hers, not through a surrogate, it's hers. And she might have been supernaturally blessed with a young body, but it was no replacement for that of being a mother, not in that culture. But people knew this was her son, and she was not going to let him be pushed aside by the son of an Egyptian slave. Even if the father was her husband, so she goes to Abraham and she says, you need to get rid of this woman and her son, for that son will never share an inheritance with my son, and she, with my son Isaac. And she's not saying that he'll never share because I'll make, you know, I'm going to make sure that kid never gets a penny. What she's saying is he's not an, a, of a character that is going to share in the inheritance. He's quite clearly of the character of the of Egyptian royalty. He's of a character that is going to destroy the competition. He's going to push away anything that stands in his way from absolute power over all the things that Abraham, Abraham has built. And you have to remember, Abraham has amassed a huge amount of wealth and influence. I mean, it was what four or five chapters ago. It said that he, you know, put together an army of three hundred and fifty men that were born in his household. These were three hundred and fifty fighting men, so ages fourteen to you know to twenty-one. That that were born in his household, not just ones that had been bought or or obtained or were hired. I mean, that's this guy has thousands of people. Under his, under his roof, so to speak, under his authority. It's, this is no small thing. Anyone with a mind of an entrepreneur, uh, you know, to take things over, he literally has a small city that is just living in the plains of Canaan, Un, uh, specifically in the plains where uh, Abimelech lives because he said, you can stay here, you know, bring your wealth, bring your influence. We'll let you stay, but, you know, don't, don't try and sell your wife off to me again. So all of that's going on. All of that is in this phrase that she says, that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. He's never going to take the role of, of a second born because he was born through a slave woman. He's always going to want to be the firstborn, and that is not going to happen because this kid, Isaac, is your firstborn son because I bore him. Does that all make sense? 
Now, I do know that most preachers don't have time to go in all that. They turn this into something that's kind of a bing, bang, boom. Um, two women arguing, that sort of thing. It's it. This is intense. This is very intense. And it's an observation that Abraham saw as well. In verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. He had already invested hours into Isaac. Uh, sorry, into Ishmael. And in investing those hours, he was under the impression that Ishmael was doing quite nicely, probably because he was told by his mother, you answer your father and you answer him the way he wants you to answer him because it's important that he thinks that you will run this family just the way he says. Because she was looking and aiming to become the queen, so to speak, of this little city. And she looked at at all that was going on and she's like, I know how we can turn this into something massive. We can take over this entire region. We might be able to put together a dynasty that's bigger and better than the one in Egypt. This is huge. She's playing that game from her role as mistress to, or not, um, yeah, mistress to Abraham and, quote, servant, slave to Sarai. Now, verse 12 Abraham hears from God. He says, listen, don't be so distressed about the boy and your and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, some people think that this means God is like, yeah, get rid of that girl and get rid of that, that offspring. Just, you know, toss him aside because I'm going to take care of Isaac. And he says, uh, I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. In other words, uh, you know, God's like, listen, don't don't worry about him. I'll I'll take care of him. Now, it wasn't that God was agreeing with Sarah's fear. It's that God was telling Abraham, listen, you don't have to worry about your son. I have enough blessings to cover everybody. This is something that so many people don't understand about God's goodness. He does not have a bank account that eventually runs out when it comes to blessing. He can bless Everyone all the time. He literally can make both these sons fathers of nations. And that's what he says he's going to do. I will make Ishmael the father of a nation because he's your son. And I promise to make your descendants infiltrate the world. So I will follow through on my promise. So yeah, if you want to dismiss, if you, if you, Abraham, want to follow through on Sarah's fears, that's fine. I'm still going to be faithful. That's what God's saying. If you want to follow through and make decisions based on your fears, it doesn't mean that God won't come through and be good. So many people miss this. Oh my goodness, so many people miss this because because they follow through on their fears and make a decision and they they sense God's goodness or they get God's favor and then they think God was okay with the the decision. He wasn't because you made the decision based in fear. What God is, is, is he is faithful and he is good and he's going to keep coming through for you and he's going to keep blessing because that's what God does. And you can't turn and say, well, then I guess, you know, I made a good decision out of fear and, and pride and arrogance because, well, God came through for me. no. No, the decision was made in fear. But God is also so committed to freedom that he's not going to step in and say, okay, bad decision, bad decision. 
I'm going to shut this down. I need to, you know, I need you to regroup and make a, make the right decision this time. Again, a characteristic that so many people think God either should have or God does have, where if you make a bad decision, God will come in and crush you and stop you, or they think God should come in and crush somebody who may, who has made a bad decision. God is, God is too loving, too good, and too committed to the freedom of your choice making to step in and change something or to, because if he does, then, then he isn't loving and he isn't about freedom. It doesn't matter how bad your choice might be. If he comes in and says, no, we're going to, we're going to redo this, then you weren't free to make the decision. But if his goodness if there's nothing you can do to separate your, you from his goodness and his love, then his goodness is still going to come through no matter how bad of a decision that you've made. And that's what happens here. And that's what God's saying to Abraham. He's like, listen, you don't need to be distressed about the boy and the slave woman. I'm still going to come through for them because I promised you that your descendants would inherit the world. So in verse 14, he says, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, and he set them on his shoulder on her shoulders. And he sent the boy, sent her off with the boy, and she went on her way, and she wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under the one of the bushes, and she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to cry. So the Basically, this means right away, right? The next morning. Abraham sees the same pattern as Sarah. He recognizes, listen, Ish is going to take Isaac's inheritance. He's not going to share it. I agree with Sarah. He gets wrapped up in the same fear that she has. He, of course, wants to make Sarah happy, probably because, you know, he's tried to sell her off twice to two different kings. I don't know, but but he steps in the next morning and he and he gives her some water and some and uh, and some bread, right? Yeah, some food and water. Now it's not like he gave her enough for you know a day and says good luck. He gave her enough for the journey, but what he also didn't do is he didn't say, listen, I'm going to send you with a caravan of people and protection, and you know we're going to make sure that you get down to Egypt and you can take uh, our son with you and you can raise him however you want. He gave her enough food to get there and enough water to get there. But it says she wandered into the desert. Now, whether it was she lost her way or she didn't quite know that she, you know, maybe she didn't want to go back to Egypt, I have no idea. But she runs out of water. Now, when you run out of water, the sun starts to cry and whine and is going to die. Now, part of me kind of, chuckled when I read this because I think of, uh, you know, I have 10 grandkids, right? And so I watch it and I watch this with my own kids too, right? Any child. Yeah. I want this. Well, you can't have it. You can have water. And they just like the whole world ends and they just collapse to the ground in tears and devastation that they can't have what they want. I don't think this is that, but that's what I think of when I read it. So the boy is devastated. Now, granted, he's used to living like a king. He's used to living as, as you know, Abraham's son. He gets whatever he wants whenever he wants it. Every servant on the planet, uh, you know, in his little world, I should say, is going to cowtail to him. So 
he's in a bad spot, she's in a bad spot, she believes that they're going to die, so she goes about a 100 yards away, so she doesn't have to hear him cry himself to death. And the Lord comes to her, and this is awesome. God hears the boy crying, and an angel of God calls to Hagar from heaven and says, what is the matter? Do not be afraid. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's the heart of God. Like I said, bad, bad things can happen to you. In concept, yeah, Hagar had trained her son to do what he did, and he mocked Ishmael, and or, uh, he, he mocked Isaac and, and kind of caused these circumstances. But in the end, God's goodness is still there because God's goodness never leaves. And you can't do anything to separate yourself from him. And he continues, don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies way over there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin and gave the boy to drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living there in the desert of Panaram, his mother got uh, a wife for him from Egypt. So we cover, I don't know, <laughs> 10 years of life in these, in these few verses. Now, remember, the Lord had already promised her, her an amazing thing, right? The last time she had been kicked out of the house, he was like, I'm going to make him a great nation. He's going to be like a, you know, a wild donkey, and he's going to be in tension with everybody around him. And that was a compliment. You know, you and I look at it, we think, a wild donkey, that's a horrible thing. God, God predicted a horrible thing. No, he's saying, much like we would consider it, if you're, if you're an American, and you heard somebody say, your son is going to be like a wild Mustang on the plains of the, you know, on the high plains of Montana. You'd be like, whoa, he's going to be free and strong. And people are going to see his freedom and his strength. And they're going to be jealous of him. And there's going to be tension around him. But he will remain free. Now, as a slave woman, that's an amazing thing to hear. That your child will not be held up in slavery. Your child will have freedom. Your child is going to be uh, something that others will be inspired by and aspire to become. And that's what, that's what happens here. So she, it says when she lifted up her eyes, right, her eyes were open and the, and the miracle was there. So it could be that it was a miracle or it could be that she opened her eyes to, act, to see what was already there, that she possibly, and this again is fine in the phrasing, this works, that she's wandering the desert of Bathsheba because she had enough water, not to get to Egypt, but enough water to get to the next well, and she couldn't find it, and she was lost and, and devastated, and she thought, well, we're all going to die, so I don't want to listen to my son cry, so... He was, he was exhausted and crying, so she left him under a, you know, uh, in one area, and she went about 100 yards away, figuring she's going to die as well. And God opens her eyes to see the well. Or possibly, 
The phrasing could support that it was an actual miracle and water bubbled up from the, from the desert. You choose. Either way is amazing. Either way, God is good. And there we hear, like for the next whatever, 10 years they're out there, and he becomes exactly what God had predicted he became, and he became an archer. In other words, not, not just like, oh, you're really good with a bow. He became an amazing hunter, somebody who people counted on for food, somebody who people counted on to lead them through the desert, and he drew people to him, and he became the leader of a, of a great nation. And he had a wife from Egypt, evidently. Now, in verse 22, it says, At the time, Abimelech and Phokol, the commander of the forces, uh, said to uh, Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. General compliment meant to just remind everybody, hey, we're not trying to compete with you here. Now swear to me before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or any of my descendants. Show me and and the country uh, show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness that I've shown to you. And Abraham said, I swear I will do that. I mean, this is just all natural good guys saying, Hey, I like you, you like me, let's let's have a little pack together. I'll bring my commander. Of my forces, obviously you command your forces, so let's just have a little chit-chat. And then Abraham, after we made that, he's like, well, listen, there's a well of water that your servants have seized. And Abimelech said, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know, I don't know anything about this. He said, uh, you didn't tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. And Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of the seven ewe lambs that you have set apart by themselves? And he said, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well, so that the place is called Beersheba, because these two men swore an oath there. And after the treaty had been made, at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phokal, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines, and Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called the name of the, of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Now, the word Beersheba, uh, it can mean basically, you know, well of seven or well of the oath or something along that line. But it was just a way to commemorate what had happened. So Abimelech and the commander come to a banquet, um, and they see all that God is doing, and they they look at the fact that he had this son when he's 100 years old, and they're like, okay, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. We don't want to be on the wrong side of this guy. If his God, and they all knew who his God was, because Abraham was a faithful teacher of who Yahweh was. They are like, if his God can make him have a son at 100 years old, like, we don't want to mess with this. He is, a, clearly his God is a God of life. So they decided to make an alliance with, with Abraham and with his God, and uh, it went great. And then they, basically Abraham's like, listen, I have a practical issue with you. And now that, now that we're going to swear to be friends, let's just work this out. And they worked out this treaty, and it literally, it was still in place until the time of Samson that the Philistines maintained and honored this treaty. And it was a, it was a relational treaty. 
it wasn't really a, a covenant, but it was a relational treaty. It was a contract that was sealed with seven, um, seven ewe lambs. And it allowed Abraham to stay in the land for many, many years. With I mean, and and again, this is no small feat. This is a man with thousands of people under his authority, and probably tens of thousands in in flock numbers. So this was a lot of land, a lot of food, and and uh, resources needed for all the flocks. But it was something that worked relationally. It worked. The Philistines and Abraham got along. And I bring that up because we are going to go, I'm already working on season three, and season three is the book of Exodus, and you will see by the time this, this round comes, you know, it, it, the Philistines become a thorn in their side because Moses, I believe, misreads the desire of God from a relational, quote, wiping out of a culture to a physical wiping out of the culture. And Moses passes out onto Joshua, and they begin to physically wipe out a land rather than relationally interacting with it at such high levels that culturally the Philistines just become a part of the kingdom of God. But that's another whole thing. I know that's a big thing to drop at you at the end of this one, but that's, uh, that's, I believe, the premise of the whole thing. That's why Abraham asked all those chapters ago, how am I going to know when, when, I, when all my descendants control the land? Because I know it's not militarily, or I'd know. And I know it's not because of riches, or I'd know. I, how am I going to know when this happens? And he goes, you're going to know, because you're literally the whole land will basically worship me. It's, it's an amazing thing. It changes the way we view Scripture not the way we translate the words. And that's what we're after here in the epic narrative. Hey, stay tuned. Stay tuned. You're going to love... <laughs> You're going to love the story behind... The, well, I love the story, at least, behind this episode. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right, Bob Thoughts. Well, thank you so much for hanging out. So episode 36 of the book of Genesis, <laughs> season two of the book of Genesis, this is what happened. I I do my best to record all a the whole season as quickly as I can. Uh, I like to do all the research. I write, I write a lot of notes. I post the notes up on the wall. And then I go, because for me, I'm telling a story. So even if it's just one episode a day, I try to crank out a season in just a few months. And I send all the recordings uh, to a common place where my producer can get them. And, and he does what he does on a weekly basis. And then usually we send the Bob Thoughts on a weekly basis as well. So that's just kind of, those aren't pro heavily produced. They're just kind of run through a couple filters and tacked on at the end of the episode. But the episodes are all there, except for episode 36. And I mean to tell you, I, I, you know, I got ready. I, I listened to it in advance, um, the raw footage. And uh, I was like, man, I can't find it. I can't find it. I can't find it. And I looked and I searched. I'm searching my drives. I'm searching my other drive. I'm searching my computer. 
it's not there. It's not there. I'm all over my phone. Can't find it. So then I actually go to my computer, which I hadn't plugged in in over a week. So I had to plug it in, let it charge up. Then I'd search my computer. And then, and then I went, I went full nuclear. I asked my wife to try and find it. Now, my wife has found other episodes for me. There have been times where I've said, honey, it's not there. I can't find it. And, you know, usually two, three minutes later, she like, here it is. And I'm like, where did you find that? And she's like, well, it was right here where you, I'm like, no, I looked there. And, you know, she's told me before, whenever I say the phrase, I looked there, she thinks in her head, that is irrelevant information for me. <laughs> because it just doesn't matter if I've looked there before. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we're looking for. If I'm like, no, no, I've already looked in the car. It's irrelevant information to her because she will find it. And uh, to be fair, she is supernaturally gifted in finding things. I, I, I swear. I, I know I shouldn't swear. No, I can't. I, can I, I, I can't. I can't explain it. I don't know if it's her uterus or what. There is some homing device that she has that I can't explain it. I've literally asked her to find things that I've lost that she's never touched. And she's found them. She's like, well, where did you see it last? And I tell her. And then she, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I watch her. I follow her around because I'm like, no, I'm in my head. I'm like, no, I've looked there. I looked there. <laughs> She's not going to shoot. How did she find that? It was right there. It was right there. So 36 actually was 36, I guess. you could. It's, it's a new phrase. If something has literally disappeared, it's been 36 because episode 36 disappeared. We, she, she couldn't find it. So I am doing this live. Like this is uh, probably like a lot of podcasters actually do, right? They actually do their podcast each week in a microphone. I'm actually doing this podcast live this week. You get to hear it. And I don't I don't know how it's going to blend with the with the one before and the one after. But uh, I hope it blends in well. <laughs> I do. I hope it blends in well. It, it was fun. It, I wasn't panicked. In the past, I've panicked when I thought I couldn't find it. But but honestly, I just wasn't. We were at a good spot with good Wi-Fi. Um, uh, and uh, the time was going to be there. And the opportunity to record was there. And I was like, I, I can do this. So then in saying that, I was like, let me just go find my notes. Well, guess what I couldn't find? my notes. And I went everywhere. I, and again, remember, now I'm living in a camper, 300 square feet. It's not that, not a lot of land to look at. I'm looking everywhere. I'm like, honey, I know I saved them. I save all my notes from each season because I like to keep them just in case I ever want to go back to them. And or, you know, if I ever want to write a book or I would never want to write a book, but if somebody wants to write a book and they want to look at my notes, they could. I can't find them. I can't find them, hon. I can't find them. So I sheepishly came back to her after we couldn't find the recording. It was literally 36th. Uh, I was like, I can't find my notes. She goes, where'd you look? I said, I looked everywhere. She said, well, there was a possibility that maybe I'd stored them somewhere else. But I was like, you know what? It's just weird that I would save the printout of the book of Genesis because I always 
print that out on like copy paper so that I can put it on the wall so I can read as I go along. I was like, it's weird that I would save all the printout of Genesis and not the notes of Genesis. I just, I must have saved them in a different, in, you know, put them in a different location. She's like, well, it is possible that they're in storage, which we thankfully could have gotten to this week. And she goes, let me look. So she literally goes to the cabinet where I store all my things. And I was like, it's not in there. I've looked in there. And as I said before, she's like, that's irrelevant information. And I was like, ooh. She goes, I know. I probably shouldn't have said that. I usually think that. I just said it this time. She pulls out a box of my books that I took on this journey. Books that I just like to read over and over again. She pulls out my box of books. I was like, I, and then I didn't say anything. And she literally just reaches in the box. I've looked in this box. She reaches in the box and pulls out a stack of my notes on the book of Genesis. And I was like, I, I cannot believe this. And then I just laughed and I gave her a big hug. I was like, honestly, I don't know where I'd be without you. She goes, well, you'd be uh, writing, your, writing new notes. I was like, yes. Yes, I would. Anyway, so that's the story of this episode. It was fun to do it live. I don't know if, I, if I'd if i ever be in a place where I could do it, you know, a week ahead of time or whatever. Man, that's, that's a lot. But uh, I'm looking forward to next week uh, giving you some thoughts. And, of course, I look forward to the book of uh, Exodus. But, man, we are just right. We haven't even gotten to Joseph yet. And, and Joseph's life is like huge in so many people's worlds. And we love Joseph. Just wait. We still haven't. I mean, next week, Abraham and Isaac, I'm pretty sure we got to kill somebody next week. All right. Sorry. Does God want, really? Does he really want Abraham to kill? All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You'll have to listen next week, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for hanging out on the Epic Narrative. everyone thanks for listening if you like what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use you can also reach out to bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com see you next week guys